0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, December seventh, two thousand twenty-two. And I know we, we missed a week last week, but that was because Len and I were down in Florida doing the Gingerbread Challenge and just ran out of time. I, we did. I had to jump on a plane on Thursday to be there for Friday. By the way, had a great event, and thanks to all the nice people who came out and. I'm also pleased to, to see that there are very few pictures of me in the pink bunny suit online. So <laughs> so my secret is, is still good for now.
1: And now that I know that it exists, I will have to source it for our, our one of our future upcoming projects that we're not allowed to talk about just yet. But boy, would it be a good little nugget to have
0: for now. Yeah, that. well...
1: If anybody can help me out, you can uh, just send it to at Azaprod at Twitter and uh, know that you'll be helping out in a good cause. Okay, moving on. I failed to see how that would be a good cause, but moving on,
0: moving on. Okay. Black Panther Wakanda Forever has been out in theaters for 27 days at this point. Sold just shy of 400 million worth of, of tickets in North America to date at this same point In its domestic run, 27 days, the original Black Panther had sold 574 million worth of tickets in North America. So basically a third more business domestically. Now I bring that up because did you see the Black Adam story that broke earlier this week about how that Dwayne Johnson film right now is sitting just shy of 400 million worldwide and... Ooh, that seems low. Well, Is that low? It seems low. It feels low. It is a little low. But at the same time, we're still dealing with the after effect of what's happening to the exhibition world, again, you know, post-pandemic. And there's a lot of folks who are suggesting we are not post-pandemic. We are still in the pandemic. But that Warner Brothers movie was released in mid-October of this year. And it would have to make $600 million to, to break even. And, and let's be honest here, superhero movies are, are expensive to make. Black Adam, for example, had a production budget of, depending on who you talk to, of 195 to $200 million. And that's just The Rock's beef budget. hey <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And, and now, mind you, Wakanda Forever had a budget of $250 million. So by that math, this Ryan Coogler film, will have to grow $750 million worldwide to turn a profit. Good news is, as of today, Worldwide Box Office for Wakanda Forever sits at 735000000 million. It's been number one at the box office for four weekends in a row here in North America. So selling that extra $15 million worth of tickets worldwide to put this production over the top, officially pushing Wakanda Forever into profit, pretty much assured at this point, that said, though, we talked on the last show about China not allowing this Black Panther sequel to be screened in country due to some LGBTQ content. And that hurt, I mean, we, we talked about the 105 million that the original Black Panther made in that one country alone in 2018. and mm-hmm. But Warner Brothers actually pushed back hard. Against this Black Adam not turning a profit story, because it's like th- pointing out that look, it's a superhero movie, and we can rely on additional revenue streams that other films can't, like action figures. And Nancy and I were in CVS just today, and they had Black Panther, Wakanda Forever dolls, Shuri and Namor, and a Namor action figure with with sort of the Aztec helmet. That was I, I came within inches of buying.
1: So did the, the Namor little plushy thing, did it have cute little stuffed little wings on his ankles? It did. Oh, it it lovely. It did. And in fact, what was kind of
0: interesting is that if you grab the action figure's ankles, the Aztec helmet would close around his head. I mean, that was oh nice. One. Yeah, well, kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, okay. we'll talk more about Namor and Shuri in a moment. But speaking of the retail realm... Today's episode of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Gymnol Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, let's talk about the news we didn't get to talk about last week. Stuff bubble up. Uh, Did you see that story about the early cut of Black Panther Wakanda Forever that reportedly featured
1: romantic scenes
0: between Shuri and Namor?
1: I kind of felt like there could have been that moment in the movie, like as you're watching it, that she could have gone that extra step and mm. and maybe tried to sneak a kiss or something, a little smoochy mm. smooch. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm terribly surprised to learn that it was there and then taken out later what did they have planned for it was she gonna i guess that would make the decision a lot harder for her as the main character about oh i have a new bow but now i have to go to war directly with him and yeah i can see that complicating things why'd
0: they take it out i've reached out to folks at marvel and they pointed out for example the original black panther had a running time of two hours and 15 minutes or wakanda forever in its current form is almost a half hour longer it's two hours and 41 minutes
1: right and it does and there's like no black panther until the very end of the movie so i mean there are some people that would i can see making complaints about the pacing of that okay
0: so did this get cut due to running time considerations or you know i was asking is there any info out there about poor reactions at test screenings and yeah, Magic Eight Ball says ask again later. So let's see right. if we can find out. Now, speaking of cutscenes from Wakanda Forever, Angela Bassett just in the past week revealed that she did shoot a scene for this Black Panther sequel where Queen Ramonda got to meet T'Challa and Nakia's son Tusan, uh, aka uh, young Prince T'Challa. However, Ryan Coogler opted instead to hold the reveal of that character to the very end of the film and in, in that mid-credit scene. With the idea that that would allow Wakanda Forever audiences to exit the theater on an emotional high, you know, that that they have a a hopeful moment to go out on.
1: Absolutely,
0: yeah. Well, Angela Angela Bassett said, lovely scene. But at the same time, Bassett respected Kugler's decision to hold that reveal to the very end of Wakanda Forever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Angela admits, Boy, she was angry when she read the screenplay of this Black Panther sequel, only to see that, spoiler alert, uh, her character dies as Namor's forces attack the capital city of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. You're know, just sort of like, I, I have this wonderful character, this really strong character, and, and you kill it. Okay, uh, moving on now to a future uh, MCU film, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We got our trailer for that dropped late last week. What fascinated me is the trailer for this James Gunn movie debuted on the exact same day as the teaser trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And that really seemed like a weird decision to
1: me. Uh, Was there an event going on, like a con somewhere that where they were unveiling this in like Shanghai or something? Oh, wait a minute. I think you may be
0: on to something. Was there I anything in there's... Brazil or something? <laughs> there we go. I think okay. there was, in fact, an event in South America. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes better sense now. But Oh, by the way, we, we, we were pre-gaming, and you wanted to talk about a bit of technology that actually, I guess, got employed in the Dial of Destiny trailer. There was
1: an article just, I want to say, in the last week or so. Mm. And uh, it was, uh, I saw it on Gizmodo. But mm-hmm. it was about how Disney had created an artificial intelligence tool that automatically makes actors look either younger or older, depending on which way you flip the switch, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they did have some video of uh, both a female and a male uh, I don't think they're actors or anything. I think like They're just average people working behind the scenes where they're doing a test shot. But, mm-hmm. you, I mean, it was a rather convincing A-B comparison where, you know, the young version is rather, you know, silky, smoothie skin, and then the uh, aged version has all the wrinkles in the right spots to make it look like that person is aged by about 20 or so years. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that they're able to get that with AI, because you think about how – uh, in the original Ant Man, how they de-aged Michael Douglas, and they had a Stan Lee cameo where they aged him down by a couple of decades or so, and that used to be such a big deal. Oh, do you see how they de-aged him? Didn't it look great? Some sometimes it didn't look so good. Oh, that looked horrible. <laughs> but right now they've got AI where they just you know take a shot of an actor and go, how old do you want him to be? Fifty-seven. All right, let me dial in fifty-seven. Boazam, and then there, there's uh, you know Chris Hemsworth, twenty or so years older, and uh, yeah, just kind of crazy technology that they've got uh, at their disposal now in their bag of tricks.
0: I agree. I agree. And and that was the comment coming about the Dial of Destiny trailer is like, hey, they finally figured this out. I mean, that version of uh, Harrison Ford actually looks like the Harrison Ford. You know, we got back in 81 for uh, the original Raiders. Oh, I haven't Um. even
1: seen that trailer. Did they de-age him in that trailer? You know how
0: the classic way an Indiana Jones film begins is you get the giant action sequence in the beginning. Sure, yep. And then, well, evidently this one starts off with an action sequence in 1942. So it's Indiana Jones once again fighting the Nazis. And then we jump ahead to 1968. It's been over 45 years at this point. And uh, not to give too much away, but if you remember the history of the American space program, a lot of the German scientists who worked on the V2 program kind of transferred over to the States to then work on the space program. And so, you know, there's...
1: Oh, yeah, okay. I see how they're following that their leap of action. So they didn't get Alden uh, Ehrenreich to double form like they did in Solo? <laughs> nope, no, not this time. Okay.
0: Uh, so to slide back up over to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So uh, what did you think of the trailer?
1: I don't recall, but like they, I know they showed Baby Groot. Or no, mm-hmm. not Baby Groot, uh, Baby Rocket. You know, right. the, the, mm-hmm. and uh, that was supposed to be the thing where everyone's like, oh, I want a stuff plush of that come mm-hmm. whatever season it releases. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just so freaking floored by the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special mm-hmm. that it was like I, I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, that looks like it's going to be another movie, mm-hmm. uh, and they're trying to keep the plot secret, so there's not a whole lot for me to grab onto. Mm-hmm. And I'm still kind of confused by Bodybuilder Groot. He's a little bit on the buff side, and I've—I just—I'm not used. My eyes have not seen that version of Groot, so when I see it, it looks—it almost looks like Man in Suit Groot, Man in Groot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, you might want to 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 get a, on the phrase. trademark. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> oh.
0: trademark that one now. Oh, okay. I, I went ahead of the May release of the. Okay. That's good, Man in Groot. Okay. okay. Well, I, I for me, I actually. I enjoyed the trailer. I thought they did a nice job. But I was especially intrigued by the teaser poster. Did, did you see that came out with the entire cast or you know, the, the entire crew of the... All right, it's not the Milano. It's not the Benatar. Damn it. No. We're on but the Bowie now. The Bowie. That's right. They're on the Bowie. You know, the entire crew of the Bowie, the uh, Sans Gamora, of course, but... What was great about that this poster, and I, I really recommend folks seek it out, is there on the poster in a little red box is a James Gunn film. Aaron, this is the very first time a director of an MCU film has ever gotten that sort of credit. In a box on the poster, no less. And it supposedly was Kevin Feige himself. Insisted that that this be done with the Guardians Volume Three poster as a tribute to his friend. Who remember after he finishes working on this Guardian sequels, uh, leaves for greener pastures, or should we say, Green Lantern pastures? Ooh, how long did you workshop that one, my friend? Uh, <laughs> it's not nearly as good as your Man in Groot. I, you know, I'm sorry. You know that that was genuinely funny. That mine was labored. Okay, but I, 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 I mean, I just I like that. Kevin wants James to go out and hide. It's like, recognize this guy did good work for us, you know, and and this is a genuine film by this guy. You
1: know, it's really, uh, Kevin Feige knows the old Sun Tzu rules of combat is keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. So he's like, hey, you're getting ready to go across the street. I need uh, inside track to information. You know, they'll they'll swap uh, stories over cocktails and a few notes here and there and go back to corporate. And That's, what do they got going on over there? <laughs> That's
0: uh, I love that interpretation. Okay, uh, look, let's see if that plays out. So, again, uh, trailer looks like a wild ride. Looking forward to, to volume three. And speaking of wild rides, during the gingerbread challenge, I got the opportunity to ride Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind Holiday Remix. Have you heard about this? They have a Special holiday edition of this thrill ride that's now running at Epcot. It will debut on November 25th, uh, by the way, it's very same day that the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, holiday special debuted on Disney. And this will continue for the full length of this theme park's International Festival of Holidays, which runs through December 30th this year. I wish I could say that it was as good as the really for real Cosmic Rewind. But... Well, it's almost... It's like the ride takes a step down in quality, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that the actual uh, Cosmic Rewind, it's Peter Quill. So you get to listen to real songs from the 1980s. Whereas for the holiday version of this attraction, Disney decided to create an an all-new holiday song that then samples things like "Run, Run, Rudolph," right. and the problem is uh, where the actual attraction. They do a great job of including, you know, Gloria este- Estefan songs and, and that sort of thing, and and making it so you can hear the music and you can enjoy the dialogue and the holiday song. You really couldn't hear what the characters were saying as, as you traveled to the attraction, and this is the three-minute-long. Coaster uh, with with a lot of story elements that you're setting up. I'm assuming they'll bring this back next year, and I, I hope that there's an enterprising sound engineer at Disney who, you know, it's like, all right,
1: let's let's revisit this. Let's make it so people can actually hear the dialogue
0: and the holiday song.
1: You know, if you're on a coaster, you've only got so much time, so it's gonna be like Frosty, the Red nosed Reindeer's coming to town. Get off, get off the ride. We- and go, <laughs> so come I'm kind of surprised they didn't use any of the music from the James Gunn. Guardians Christmas special, because they had a couple of great jams about, you know, where he doesn't know what Christmas is. Christmas Mm -hmm. is here. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's over there. I don't Mm -hmm. know because I don't know what Christmas
0: is. Disneyland did a Haunted Mansion Holiday But the thing is, they hired an outside composer for the first season, Mm -hmm. and it was so popular the very next year, Tim Burton insisted, okay, if you're going to continue on with this, you got to bring in Danny Elfman. And he then redid the music for the attraction, so it was much more in the style of the actual film. I mean, both versions of the score are a lot of fun, but Danny Elfman's take on the very version of the show... You know, is a lot more fun. So in mm. a weird sort of way, given that supposedly, did Kevin Bacon actually write the holiday song um, that he performs in during the show? Cause
1: no, he said that he had gotten the script like years ago because COVID delayed everything. So he was on board like forever ago and had read the script forever ago. Mm. And he said that uh, James had said, hey, you're playing with my g- my band was at the the 86s the there we go mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and uh so he's like yeah okay and obviously you know Kevin Bacon has his own band that does? that mm-hmm. he travels around with so mm-hmm. he was just like yeah great i can i can play with anybody cuz you know mm-hmm. that's that's what you do as a musician so he was ready to just jump in and mm-hmm. i believe that James already had all of the music selected and or written by that time because uh Kevin Bacon then said that he went and just pulled all the songs and listened to them in order of the script so he could kind of mm-hmm. get that vibe in his head and try and get mm-hmm. a feel for what uh, James Gunn was, was going to be putting together. And, oh, and, then, and then it okay. took years to get back to it because of COVID. And so, yeah, it's uh, that was the story.
0: I think you, you've hit upon an excellent idea. I think I, here's hoping that for year two, of a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind holiday remix that somebody, some enterprising soul at Disney takes a, a close look at the holiday special and, and pulls, you know, samples some of the songs for that. Because by then, I mean, you gotta assume that, you know. It'll be a uh, classic. That, yeah, there we it's go. It's
1: this generation's Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> oh, okay. Harvey wants to be a dentist? What the hell? <laughs>
0: Boy, you just set up a beautiful transition here. Because speaking of snowman, this year's International Festival holiday, friend of the show, Josh Gad, will be serving as the celebrity narrator for this theme park's Candlelight Procession this coming weekend, Aaron. He's going to be there in the American Gardens Theater for on Saturday, December 10th. Also there on Sunday and finishing up his stint as the, the narrator of the this year's Candlelight Processional. On Monday, December twelfth, and I, I honestly, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I'm missing Josh's performance. And how does one wish a performer luck when they're appearing in a holiday theme production? I mean, it, Aaron, I don't need to tell you this. I, you know, there's the the traditional break a leg, right? But shouldn't there be something more specific, you know, for the holiday season? Like, I I hope you sprained your nutcracker. Which no, uh, that that's uh,
1: that's a pulled groin muscle, and you've done <laughs> the, the ballet wrong. You didn't stretch before you done your kicks, and now you're on a stretcher going to the hospital. <laughs> okay, okay,
0: Josh, <laughs> please please take that into consideration and and stretch before you you you, you service narrator for this year uh, <laughs> okay, uh, and plie. Okay, and to finish out this half of today's show, I was this year's old today. Somebody just pointed this out online over social media, that if you look at Ant-Man quantum mania, Mm -hmm. you can actually spell Ant-Man with letters you pull out of quantum mania. So Ant-Man is in the title twice. Oh, it's subliminal. Well, not subliminal. But uh, yeah, I see it. I, I see what you're talking about. Of course, Ant-Man Quantumania kicks off Phase 5 of the MCU. And when Aaron and I get back, uh, we're going to take a a close look at Phase 4. It's uh, December 7th. We are, what, two weeks and change out from christmas and you, you were commenting on a piece of marvel related uh, a, a marvel related that maybe people don't necessarily want to get for the marvel fans and their family this holiday season yeah uh,
1: yeah maybe you maybe want to skip on it so it was a okay. couple of years ago that we were just talking about some general tech advancements that were really neat and and what it was is basically if you could put a uh, a propeller like a, a fan blade on your on the palm of your hand and make it spin. I know it sounds dangerous as all heck, but that's essentially what it was. And it had LED lights on it, and when it spins really fast, you can make a picture with the flashy LEDs, right? So the effect was um, Doctor Strange's mandalas, the the little shields that he makes. Those you know they're orange and and circles and whatnot that he mm-hmm. makes with his fists, and and they were able to kind of create that effect. And so you just strap it to your hand, turn it on, blade spins, and and scene happens. Disney, now many years later, this I think this was like 2018-ish or, or earlier that this tech mm-hmm. was out. So now today, if you were to go, I think it's at shopdisney.com, but if you were to go there and, and look it up, they've got these Doctor Strange shield makers. But the thing is, obviously, Disney Legal took one look at the video and went, oh, hell no. And then they end up putting it on, it's like if you took a solo drink cup and flipped it upside down and taped it to your hand and then put the blade on it. So you had like a good six inches of separation between your, your fingers and the spinning blade. Uh, and, and so then, and I, I think they just kind of painted it a bronze color and uh, made it, from, apparently from a really cheap plastic because some people were complaining that it broke relatively quick. Like they gave it to their kids, their kids played with it two or three times and then it went snap and like the blade kind of, Popped off safely in a, in a safe manner. It didn't. It wasn't like a, a ninja star shooting <laughs> through the living room or anything. Oh dear! It's okay. the the little uh, thing that it's attached to uh, mm-hmm. snapped off, and so it just came off of the little cup thing that was attached to their hand. So yeah, the, and I think they're selling it for like you know forty bucks, which is really cheap for that kind of technology to begin with. So yeah, chances are it's made of cheap material and it will break relatively quickly. So maybe not get that for Christmas and look at something else.
0: And speaking of looking at something else, there's a couple of great books coming out uh, or supposed to be coming out this holiday season. I mean, for example... There've been so many of us waiting on the art of book for Shan Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, Aaron, that movie came out in September of, of 2001, and up until just a, a, a week or so ago, uh, this was supposed to finally hit store shelves on December 27th. I mean, so okay, so you you couldn't have it for the holiday, but you could, you know, you could set it up to have it delivered, you know, to by the you know, time the you home. get home. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing: I, I just. Checked at Amazon, and and once again, this thing has been pushed back. Uh, Now it's supposed to arrive, uh, hit store shelves on February 21st of of next year. And not to be that guy, but this is 18 months after the release of the film, and I get the pandemic happened, and that screwed up publishing because so many of these art books are, are done overseas and literally have to
1: take the slow boat from China to get to the States. Okay, now now take that and that's mm-hmm. the first part of your equation. Now multiply that by mm-hmm. secrecy from Marvel. There we go. There we go. So you can't so. let that material out before the movie's release because otherwise it could get leaked and secrets mm-hmm. could get out. So that means they couldn't even start the darn book till way 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 later in the process than almost everything else.
0: For example, we have The Black Panther War of Wakanda Expansion, uh, The Art of the Hidden Kingdom. Now, this is for a game that came out in August of 2021. Now, this is finally becoming available for purchase on December 20th of this year. So, again, you're looking for somebody to get your Marvel fan and the family. But, again, 19 months after a game, not a movie. Likewise, on that very same day, December 20th, we have Marvel's Loki, the official collector's special book, that becomes available for purchase. That limited series debuted on Disney Plus in June of 2021. We are 18 months past. What secrets are we holding?
1: <laughs> Go. I'll, I'll tell you what's going to uh, happening right now. I'll bet you just about anything, Jim. Hmm. Is uh was it Bob, Bob Iger's back in town, right? So he's yep. back in the big chair. He's got to fill all the debts in the world uh, mm-hmm. from the Fox acquisition, from all the content they're making with Disney+, et cetera, et cetera. And I will bet you just about anything, he's got a bean counter locked in a dungeon right now who's doing hardcore math aerobics around the problem of if Feige weren't so darn secretive, and rightfully so. Like, we understand. Mm-hmm. We get it. It's business. But if I could have my book for Shang-Chi release the day the movie for Shang-Chi comes out, it will sell 100 times more copies than if it comes out two years after the fact. Mm-hmm. That just makes plain old sense. Strike while the iron is hot. That's going to be the words out of someone's mouth named Bob Iger. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to figure out, is it worth keeping the secret? What is the price tag for keeping the secret? And he's going to go back to Kevin Feige and he's go, I had my bean counter in the dungeon, figure it out, and the number is... million per year is what your secrets cost me. Shit's got to change, bro. I mean, they got to look at everything they're doing in the business because you can only do so much. It's not like they can build new rides, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't have the money. They, you know, they, you can't reinvest the money that you don't have at the moment, mm-hmm. right? So that means you got to make your money elsewhere. If you're mm-hmm. going to make the book, but you're waiting two years to release it, that is a huge problem for your timing and your synergy and all that corporate mumbo jumbo that they like, right? Absolutely. So you know that they got to be looking at that as uh, we could make a boatload more money if we just had timing. Involved in this equation. That's a lovely transition
0: to our next story, which talks about the trades. We're talking about an executive retreat that Marvel Studios had over the past month. And this was supposedly because now that phase four of the MCU has officially been put to bed with the theatrical release of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, it was a moment of reflection, you know, look back at what they've done with phase four comparing it to the earlier, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three of the MCU, Mm -hmm. the belief was that we just didn't generate the heat and excitement that we did with the earlier three. This was understanding that, you know, if we look ahead to phase five and phase six, which of course... Phase six ends with uh, secret wars and, you know, the Kang dynasty. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff to set up. And in fact, in their defense, if, if you think about it, so much of what phase four was, was getting ready to tell those stories bringing you know right. characters
1: on the canvas introducing ideas it's kind of like resetting the bar like if you're doing a high jump competition and someone jumps so high that they actually hit the ceiling of the gymnasium to get over mm-hmm. the bar and they're like well we can't raise the bar any higher we need to reset we need to go back down and kind of mm-hmm. simplify and introduce new characters and and have a palate cleanser, refresh, mm-hmm. and and let that bar kind of go back down so you can ratchet it back up over the next couple of of phases. And I mm-hmm. firmly believe, you know, all the people that are griping about it's not as big and actiony and spectacly and wonderful mm-hmm. as you know the the last phase. And it's like, yeah, it really can't be. There's no way that you can build for almost a decade to that conclusion. And then go the year after that and go, okay, be better than that. Because it's like that concluded. You have to start fresh.
0: I would also argue phase four was the first where we really got the limited series. And the limited series right. were nine episodes, six episodes, you know. And we had more slow burn stories. Because, again, yeah. that's how television works, you know, you breadcrumb somebody. And. I would argue it's the limited series that carried a lot of the water for phase five and and phase six. I mean, for example, think about it, you know it it was in Loki, where he who remains basically teed up Kang, right. Likewise, if we look at Ms. Marvel, I mean, that was the one that that officially brought mutants into the the MCU fold with the little scene at the end there. Likewise, this is where supposedly we got introduced to the idea of incursions.
1: I do want to just also point out that, because we, we really haven't touched on it very hard, that the fact mm-hmm. that uh, our, our newest bad guy, Namor, did say mm-hmm. flat out that he was a mutant. Mm-hmm. I mean, he used the word. And Excellent s- point. So, Excellent uh, yeah, point. I, Feige has actually said, let there be mutants. Okay. And they're being okay. trickled in. One Mm -hmm. by one, which now ends up thinking if you think about just these couple of factors, because the first one we had was with Miss Marvel, where they utter the M word and we all kind of gasp, oh, mutant. Mm -hmm. And then we get to Namor, where he just says, yeah, I was a mutant. And now it's like very, you know, plain as day. Mm -hmm. And are we going to start getting like in uh, the next series? And it could be like a She Hulk thing, it could be, you know, Squirrel Girl. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like if they bring in one mutant. Mm-hmm. And introduce them in that series, mm-hmm. and or one movie. Bring in a mutant, and then bring in a mutant, and then bring in a mutant. All of a sudden, now that you've been introduced to, oh my goodness, look at this! It's the X Men.
0: Again, an excellent point. If we shift now to theatrical, what I, I think is fascinating, for example, when you look at Spider Man No Way Home, in a lot of ways, you sort of plow the road for the big. Just you know, I mean, face it, this is. Pr- Portals 2.0 that, that mm. is what Foggy's trying to set up uh, in Secret War. You know, bringing in every character from every Marvel film franchise, and and Spider-Man No Way Home kind of gave us a taste of that between the bringing back Tobey Maguire and and Andrew Garfield to work side by side with Tom Holland, but what, again with all of the the villains from various uh, versions of the Spider-Man franchise. Coming back and throwing Doctor Strange in the mix. Or for that matter, think about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. How in our end credit scene for that, we got Clea, the the Charlize Theron's character, who just as you said, you know, uh, Namor said mutant. She said incursion. So that's supposedly what Kang's going to do. Kang is going to create these incursions that have to be
1: dealt with. There was a, an article, I think, about a week ago that mm-hmm. the uh, Spider-Man spin-off series Silk, mm-hmm. r- which is a Sony thing, mm-hmm. uh, was going to be landing over at Amazon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had a price tag for it or not, but hmm. I, I kind of wonder if they do their Secret Wars, right? So they bring back, say, Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider, for an example. Mm-mm. And they pull deep and hard from all these hardcore, you know, old-school Marvel films and, and bring them in for a Secret War spectacle. Do Mm-mm. you think one of those portals will have a little Sony logo over it where all of these <laughs> spider people come out? I
0: think that Sony genuinely benefits from the crossover into the MCU. You know, oh, sure, it gets yeah. People excited about their films. So I'd be intrigued to see, well, how, especially when we finally get the Secret War and we start dealing with this portals 2.0, you know, everybody comes on the canvas at the same time. You know, how does Sony get the step out from the crowd there?
1: But I just know that if it is a portal, every damn spider we've ever seen on a screen is going to be through that one Sony portal. Mm, Uh, I swear like one of them is going to be holding a PlayStation controller in their hand. The other one's going to be holding the Sony Walkman and rocking out. That'll be (laughs) the punk rocker with the spiky hair. Yeah, yeah.
0: There we go. Though, uh, that said, I mean, think about it. We've had our storytelling done theatrically. We've had our stuff done with limited series on Disney+. Plus. But you predicted this months ago about how, you know, again, the beauty of being a Disney where you have an, an ABC or, you know, all, all of these other broadcast entities to fall back on about what they just did to sort of up the profile of season one of Andor.
1: Yeah. So the, my guess was that the old model was that you would make something for your network like an ABC or NBC and then you'd shuffle it over to your streaming service and that yeah. would be how your content lived and died. And then all of a sudden everyone started placing heavy bets on, on the streaming gig. They made all their own networks and, you know, you get some success like uh, Paramount Plus has their Star Trek that seems to be doing rather well and getting some subscribers. I have no idea what the cost to, you know, consumer ratio is if they're making their money back on it. But, you know, everyone's got to make a thing. So I I figured at some point. It'll be a thing where, and I was thinking specifically Star Trek because it was so tied to CBS that one day they're just going to start moving these things that were created for Paramount Plus over to CBS to get people to just start watching their terrestrial television signals again. And it was just a couple of weeks ago that Disney did that very thing in in an essence where uh, Andor was doing rather well and they moved it over to Hulu. Only episodes one and two. They moved over to Hulu. And there was another streaming service that I don't recall. And then I believe it was on, was it on ABC?
0: Yes, it was. It was.
1: Uh, In fact, they they ran the
0: first two episodes back to back on ABC. In fact, that was Nancy's first opportunity to see these things. Okay. And really seemed to enjoy them. But Mm -hmm. yesterday's Wall Street Journal actually had a story where it says Disney takes on streaming puzzle. And. Subtitle here is Bob Iger uh, is rightly focused on profit, but the company's marquee's franchises can't be serviced cheaply. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a line in here to the effect of Disney needs to bring a disciplined focus on value maximization.
1: i got another prediction for you real quick. There we go. They're building a void two and three somewhere real quick. Because, or no, not a void, a volume. I'm sorry, a volume, which is what they were using to shoot most of uh, Mandalorian, mm-hmm. where they could put up the image on the screen. Instead of having a green screen, you actually had a you know, 360 uh, video screen that just had up your background. Mm-hmm. But if you can think about, like, in the case of Mandalorian, mm-hmm. the, the asset was just a desert, right? Mm-hmm. Sand, the color tan against a blue sky and some rocky backgrounds. So you can mock that up digitally with some, some assets relatively quickly mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't cost you a darn thing. Whereas, you know, the olden days of sets, like, you know, they shot Cleopatra mm-hmm. almost 100 years ago with uh, Joan Crawford. Uh, mm-hmm. where They had to build, you know, a statue that was like seriously 60 feet tall because the director wanted the wide shot. Mm-hmm. and so that and then well you need all the people in the world as well so we got to hire fifty thousand extras to stand there and cheer and man that gets so expensive so fast but if you have something like the volume where you can just go all right what do you want to see bob i'd like a forest all right let me mm-hmm. hit the forest key boom all right there you go what do you like you like that uh, more birch trees let me hit the birch tree key real quick mm-hmm. boom birch trees i like that bob oh, that's beautiful let's shoot you're off and Ryan, What did it cost you? I don't know. What's the cost of punch two keys? You're talking about union scale, that's about 30 cents. But here's the irony. In fact, we, we just started this section
0: of the show talking about Andor. Tony Gilroy made the decision with this particular show. Now, don't get me wrong. They definitely used the volume, you know, at certain parts of the show.
1: Oh, yeah, but they use sets. Yeah. Oh, and locations. Yeah, this- yeah Totally.
0: Yeah, for the Battle of Ferrix, I mean that was a really for real set mm-hmm. and and they used that set for the full run of the show. So it wasn't a question of okay, we're going to build this thing and only use it for one scene. I mean, we we kept returning to Cassian's home planet to find out, you know, the the impact of of what he'd done and
1: and I'm telling you right now, Iger's sitting in the hot seat right now and he's going, show me the budget for Mandalorian in the volume and show me the budget for Andor with actual practical stuff everywhere. I would like to compare those numbers real quick. I've got a guy in a dungeon currently cranking out some numbers on how holding a book back by two freaking years is costing us millions. I think I can throw this little nugget at him real quick. He'll have a number bat me tweet sweet. Hang on, let me get let me get him on the phone real quick. Oh. Answer is cut that shit out. Get in the volume. Everybody okay. in, the, in the volume. Every, everybody
0: in the volume. Okay, <laughs> no, that's funny. Okay, well let's see what happens here, folks. You know that, but I, I, I Aaron, I, I don't think you're wrong there. I mean, I, when you think about how amazing, especially some of the stuff that they did. For uh, the Mandalorian, uh, the, the the places they went, you mm-hmm. know, the the and, and all again staged
1: inside of that that amazing piece of tech. I mean, I never could have guessed such a thing until they actually showed me how the technology worked in their you know behind the scenes special, and then you're like, oh, they changed the whole game, like things are just different now. And I mean, when you're looking at the fact that you you have to create content regularly, otherwise Disney Plus, there's no reason to be a subscriber anymore if you quit making content, like fresh Mm -hmm. new stuff, right? So if they quit making stuff, we go away. If they cheapen out and make really crappy stuff, we go away. So they got to make it look good, but decrease the budget. So how do you do that? You get rid of all the practical stuff. You go with the digital stuff that's quick, cheap, and easy, and you make it look as good as you can with the tightest, strictest budget Known to humans, and uh, that I think that's going to be their workshop for a long time.
0: Okay, let me just throw out two quick stories here and, and get your take on this, because right. every so often the original Toy Story will show up on television, and it, it's still great story, amazing voice performances. But uh, again, it was produced in 1995, and every so often a human character will come on camera, and you're like, right. you know, I mean, yeah. just because. But that was what they could do. In 1995. Now, you were just talking about Paramount and Star Trek. And I want to say within the past 10 years, the folks at Paramount were taking a hard look at the original 65 episodes of the first series produced in the 60s. And the thing was that, again, writing still holds up, acting still holds up, but every so often they cut to a shot of the, the ship outside. And it just, it, it again, it's 1960s visual effects. And it looked kind of crappy. and. Mm-hmm. Paramount made the interesting choice to hire contemporary uh, visual effects houses to go in and create new visual effects of, I mean, the, (laughs) the same shots, the very same, you know, the doomsday machine and, and space stations and the actual enterprise and that sort of thing, but to make them palatable for today's audio, you know, the, the, the kids who were sitting down today who don't know Star Trek from the sixties and wanted to see it. But right. they also, in that same window of time, they went through and digitally cleaned up each of the individual episodes. In fact, I remember there was a, st- a story once where the team that was working on it reached out to Leonard Nimoy. I, they were, I, I guess, cleaning up the troubles with Tribbles episode. And mm. they were like, did you spill coffee on yourself? And they, Cause again, they had cleaned the shot up and it's right. like they could literally see this splotch on the front of Nimoy. And he was like, you know, 40 years later. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. Wow. You, you guys can see that. It's like, yeah. And we're cleaning it up right now. Yep. I have to wonder the very thing you were just talking about. If in order to keep these things viable, and again, Mandalorian looks lovely to us today, You know, but if we jump ahead... Or are they going to
1: go back and clean up their classics? Well, we've already seen them do it, because, I mean, they've had little digital errors, or not digital errors, but... Well, actually, they did. Mm -hmm. In uh, the end of uh, WandaVision, Mm -hmm. there was a reflection in the glass of the door, and they said, we don't like that, so they wanted to Photoshop it out, and when they did it, they re-uploaded the file in it, and they left uh, the mat over the mountain in the Zoom, so it created this little specter of an image floating down the mountain, and nobody could figure out why or what that was or what it meant and it go. was and then they that's... a day or two later they realized they did that and they fixed it again and got rid of that excellent so point. yeah they're doing
0: excellent. it okay excellent point all right so well it's happening in real time folks and, and speaking of time it is time to shut down this week's show folks so uh Aaron, talk to me where can the uh, the nice folks listening to this podcast find you on social media
1: Uh, You can go over to uh, Twitter. I think is the only place I'm at right now worth mentioning. You can type in at Azaprod, and don't do it right now. Mm -hmm. Don't do it right now. I'm I'm doing a surprise. I got a friend. I got him tickets to go see the Blue Man Group. Mm -hmm. And Okay, well, first, I got to explain a little bit. He's colorblind, and I'm I'm telling him it's the Blue Man Group, but uh, it's on Twitter, and I, I just don't want the word to get out just yet, so just wait a couple of days until after his birthday. And uh, me and Ted washed the paint off because we got a couple of trash canlets and some broom handles we're going to bang on.
0: <laughs> I, 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 sadly, I've been to enough Blue Man Group shows that you're not wrong. But that, 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 that's pretty much it. It's an expensive
1: okay. ticket. I couldn't afford it. We were in a pinch. We, were, we promised that we were going to do something special. It's, and it's like, Well, oh, he's colorblind. Maybe we can get away with this in a pinch. So I got a couple of bald caps. We'll see what happens. Let me know. Okay. And speaking of social media,
0: you can find me on on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, beyond that, also want to mention that we have a, a bunch of other podcasts. We do here at Jim Hill uh, Media Podcast Network, the Disney Dish with Len Testo. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Looking Genuinely looking forward to, to hear what Mr. Taylor has to say. He's been over... In London, attending, uh, what is it? Avatar The Way of Water. Already seen the film twice and can't say enough nice things about it. So interesting to hear what he has to say. And just later tonight, in fact, I'll be recording a, a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Guyon. So if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the podcast you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, that would be helpful. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and Aaron and I will be back next week.